1: Pandemic, book three of the Infected trilogy, written by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler, performed by Phil Giganti. Pandemic is also available in print, ebook, and unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com/pandemic.
2: Chapter thirty-eight. Welcome aboard. Ten clear cells, four empty, six occupied. Three new subjects. Margaret tried to think about them in those terms, as subjects. But unless Tim's cellulase-secreting yeast acted like some kind of miracle cure, those men were death row inmates. She stood in the airlock that led from the lab space to the containment area. She looked through the door's window, stared at the men in the cells. Clarence stood on her right, Tim on her left. They quietly waited for her to think things through. Thirty hours since she and Clarence had landed on the Carl Brashear. Barely more than a day, and things were already collapsing. The men in the clear cells weren't alone. Two positives had been found on the Pinckney, the infected men discovered because they opened fire on their shipmates, killing three and wounding two. Unlike the Brashear, however, the Pinckney had no containment facility. Captain Tuberville had ordered the immediate execution of the infected men and the incineration of their bodies. Obviously, Petrovsky and Walker hadn't been the only ones to come up from the Los Angeles. Others, or at least pieces of others, had floated to the surface, contagious flesh mingling with swimming survivors of the Forrest Sherman and the Stratton. Or could it have been something else? Maybe a gas-filled puffball corpse breaking the surface and then opening up to spill spores across the task force. The cause almost didn't matter. What mattered was that the task force had become infected. This was going to end in a giant fireball. The only real question was, would anyone get out alive? The killer, or Nagy, the test missed him, Margaret said. I didn't think false negatives were possible. They're not, Tim said. He must have found a way to skip his test or use someone else's blood. Margaret turned to Clarence. Yasaka has strict procedures in place. How could someone dodge a test? I don't know the specifics, he said, but there's hundreds of extra men on this ship. It's very confused up top, no matter how disciplined Yasaka's crew is. If someone smart tried hard enough, they could probably duck a test, maybe even two. That didn't make the cellulose test worthless, exactly, but not far from it. Maybe more are ducking it, Margaret said. There's got to be another way to look at the task force's population as a whole. Try to get an idea of just how fucked we are. Tim raised a gloved hand. I can get Yasaka to give me access to onboard medical records. I'll set up a biosurveillance algorithm maybe there's common symptoms reported early before the infection reaches the stage where it's detectable and then contagious if there's a spike in a certain symptom say headaches we might get an idea of how many people are infected but not yet testable biosurveillance she hadn't thought of that maybe Tim's background in bioinformatics could make a difference do it Margaret said but make sure your yeast cultures are the first priority what's the status of those Modified yeast is growing like wildfire. Population-wise, we're succeeding, but it remains to be seen if it has any impact. Tim didn't sound jovial anymore. The light had faded from his eyes. He, too, was good at math, and math said he was standing in what would wind up being his tomb. We need to split your cultures, Margaret said. As soon as we're finished here, give half to Clarence so we can ship it to Black Manitou. Tim didn't answer right away. Margaret knew he could read between the lines, knew she was confirming his fears that they were all doomed. Sure, I guess that makes sense. Clarence cleared his throat. Ahem, <clears throat> I assume sooner is better than later. Yesterday was already a week too late. Get a hold of Murray, make it happen. Right now Tim's cultures are the most valuable thing on the planet. we Will do. What about those new crawlers you injected into Edmund, the Hydras? Do we need to get those to Black Manitou as well? Margaret looked into the containment area again, toward the cell that held Edmund. We'll find out soon. I'm going to take samples from him right now, see if the Hydra's replicated. Aside from Tim's yeast, the Hydras were the only other real hope. The yeast would live in the intestine, secreting cellulase into the bloodstream. Cellulase that would, hopefully, melt any infection. But Tim's yeast wouldn't survive in there indefinitely. Normal gut flora would outcompete it. The very nature of the gut itself would kill it, and so on. To maintain effectiveness as an inoculant, people would have to ingest regular doses of the stuff. Hydras, on the other hand, reproduced on their own. Like the crawlers, they hijacked stem cells, made those stem cells produce more hydras. As far as Margaret could tell, Hydras would provide permanent immunity from the infection. No booster doses needed. But with that possibly permanent immunity came a larger problem. Margaret still had no idea what else the Hydras might do. Using them might very well be trading the devil she knew for the one that she didn't. Okay, she said. Let's get in there. She opened the airlock door and stepped into the containment area. Four hospital gown-clad captives looked at her. Clark was still sedated and strapped to his bunk. Triangles were beginning to show, pale blue shapes beneath his white skin. Edmund, of course, wasn't ever getting up again. Cantrell stared out, eyes only for her. She'd done nothing to the man, but he couldn't hide his hate for her. She didn't know why and didn't have time to worry about it. Margaret looked at the three new men. Men? Of course they were men, although two of them looked like boys, especially the one who cried, silently, tears wetting his young cheeks. He was in the cell next to Edmund. How old was this boy? Nineteen? Maybe twenty tops? Had Margaret made different choices in her life, he was young enough to be her son, just like Candace Walker was young enough to have been her daughter. Margaret closed her eyes briefly, gathered herself. There was no time for those thoughts. Clarence, which one was the killer? Clarence pointed his gloved hand at a thick-chested man in the second cell in the left row, the one just past the prone Clark. Chief Petty Officer Oren Nagy, Clarence said. Killed two men with a pipe wrench. They were trying to give him the cellulose test. Nagy stood ramrod straight. Fists at his sides, staring out at Margaret with rage-filled eyes and a smile that promised pain. He had a salt-and-pepper buzz cut. Blood trickled from a purple welt on his forehead. His gown's short sleeves revealed arms knotted with long muscles, skin dotted with faded tattoos. He looked like a Navy man from a 60s movie. He didn't seem to notice the wound on his head. Margaret felt fear just looking at the man, at meeting his dead psychotic stare. ''We'll need to put him under and dress his wound,'' she said, then gestured to the crying boy. ''And him?'' ''Conroy Austin. The last one is Lionel Chappas. Both of them were found on the same testing sweep that triggered Nagy's attack.'' She turned to Tim. ''Is the outbreak just on the Pinckney and the Brashear? Any infected on the other two ships?'' He shook his head. ''The Truxton and the Coronado haven't reported any positive results.'' That's not surprising for the Coronado, though. The crew and the SEALs on board haven't been allowed to interact with anyone at any point. They weren't even allowed to help rescue people after the battle. The task force has upped the cellulose testing schedule to every two hours. Captain Yasaka reported that there are new deliveries of testing kits being flown here to make sure we don't run out. The Pinckney had 380 crew members. That ship alone now required 4,500 tests a day. That would wreak havoc on the crew's sleep, causing people to be tired, irritable, sloppy. But if the increased testing caught any other infected personnel before they became contagious, then maybe there was still a chance. Maybe. But she doubted it. Tim, as soon as you split the culture for Clarence, split it again. Four ways. Keep one as a new starter culture. We're going to use the other three on the three new men. See what happens. She had no idea what effect ingesting the yeast would have on someone who was already infected. There was a possibility it could kill off the infections growing inside of them, though, and that was reason enough to try. Tim turned to face her. Three doses for them, or three doses for us? They're already infected. We don't even know if the yeast will do that much for them. But we get that yeast in our system right now, and within a few hours, we'll have enough cellulase in our blood that the infection probably can't take root. If we do become exposed, the infection is stopped before it even starts. A dose now will last us about a week, I think. But by the end of that week, I'll have cultured far more, and we'll be able to take booster doses. It makes way more sense to take it ourselves, Margo. Was he right? Did it make sense to use themselves as guinea pigs? She'd been witness to what the disease did to people. She would kill herself before she let it change her. Tim was offering another alternative. But there wasn't enough yeast right now to give herself a dose and to know if it might be a cure for those already infected. Every second mattered. These men are infected now, she said. If there's a chance the small amount of yeast we have will help them, we need to do it. Besides, that's data we need to capture and send a black Manitou before... Before it's too late, is what she started to say. Tim's eyes narrowed with frustration. It's too late for them. We are the ones that can stop this thing, Margaret. We are the ones that need to live, not a bunch of grunts. She winced at the use of that word. She'd called Clarence the same thing. Margaret looked at Clarence, saw the sadness in his eyes. But he didn't object to Tim's statement. She knew Clarence was doing his own kind of math. The military math of acceptable losses, of choosing the greater good. He didn't care about himself, she knew, but he obviously wanted her and Tim to be protected, to keep working as long as possible. Margaret had tuned the crying boy out, but he suddenly grew louder. The suitcoms were on a private channel. The young sailor couldn't hear Tim's statement of doom, but perhaps he'd read the look on Clarence's face. Two options, neither of which promised success save herself or try to save these men she clenched her jaw tight and made her decision gas the cells knock these men out we know the infection is mutated one or more of these men could have the strain that makes those strange cocoons we put them under get samples from all of them before we administer the yeast tim shook his head we need to get the hell off this boat is what we need to do we're still clean Can't secret agent man call in an evac for us? Let's get out of here before some psycho kicks in the door and swings a wrench at our heads. She took two steps toward him. She meant to stand face to face, but forgot about the clear visors, which thwapped together. Feely, we need to see exactly what strains these men have. We'll get tissue samples from each of them, then you divide the yeast just like I told you to. In a day or two, you'll have enough yeast for us to take it ourselves. We need to act now because these men can't wait. What we need to do next is save our own asses, Margaret. How about we save the world, Feely? Can you stop being a selfish little prick long enough to focus on that? He couldn't hold her stare. He looked off, sniffed, then nodded his head. Voice command, Feely, Tim. Activate gas in cells three, five, and six. The men couldn't hear him but they knew something was up. Austin and Chappas stood. Chappas pounded on the glass, screaming to be let out. The scream didn't last long. Colorless, odorless gas filled their tanks. Within seconds, Chappas and Nagy slumped to the floor. Margaret looked at Austin Conroy. The boy was still crying. His cheeks puffed out. His lips pursed into a tight little pucker. He was holding his breath. Wet, pleading eyes stared at Margaret. Tim looked away. Margaret did not. The boy held on for almost thirty seconds, but his crying broke his lips apart, and he drew in an unwanted breath. His sobs slowed, then stopped. He fell back onto his bed. All right, Margaret said. Let's get to work. Chapter 39. Timelines. That bitch was crazy. Tim prepared the yeast culture for Clarence. Sure, that had to be done. It only made sense to get it to Black Manitou. Maybe someone could recreate his work from data alone. Maybe not. Sometimes getting that first engineered organism to produce was more art than science. He'd spent years perfecting his skills and techniques. Douchebag Chang might fuck it up if he had to recreate from scratch. So sending him an already successful culture, yeah, that was the right thing to do. But test the yeast that remained on a bunch of poor fuckers who were already infected, instead of just taking it themselves? Crazy. Margaret was willing to sacrifice her own safety for a shot at helping those guys. Maybe Tim had been wrong about her. Maybe she and Mr. Flagwaver really did belong together, living happily ever after in the land of idealism and platitudes. He sealed up the fist-sized container for Clarence. Inside was enough living yeast to start a hundred new colonies. That left the remainder to be divided four ways, one quarter to continue the base colony, and one quarter each for Nagy, Austin, and Chappas. Tim stopped. Why didn't Margaret want to use some on Clark, the man who was already showing triangle growth? Clark was a lot farther gone than anyone else, Maybe she was going to drain the hydras from Edmund, put those in Clark. He eye-tracked through his visor menu, called up the surveillance feed from Clark's cell. One look showed it wouldn't be long now. Six bluish triangles with inch-long sides were clearly visible under his skin, a slit near each point running toward the center. Four days into Clark's infection, the timeline seemed to vary slightly with every victim. Every host's body responded differently. But if the general track record held true, those triangles would hatch today. Clark's containment cell would be home to six hatchlings, their inch-high triangular bodies supported by long, black tentacle legs. Then what? Someone would have to go in there, put the hatchlings into smaller cages. Those cages would be shipped to Black Manitou. Cheng's group would study them, look for weaknesses. And Clark? He'd just be dead. Tim licked his lips. He had an overpowering urge to get off this ship. But if he did, what then? If the infection somehow reached the mainland, then Tim was fucked anyway. Everyone was fucked. He looked at his yeast. The result of years of work combined with the dumb luck of Candace Walker's bizarre immunity. His yeast secreted the killer cellulose that slipped through the gut barrier to enter directly into the bloodstream. Theoretically, anyway. Saccharomyces Philae had yet to be tested. A human trial. That's what was needed. An uninfected human trial. He again focused on the video feed of Clark. Tim didn't want to end up like that, with things growing inside of him, things that would rip out of his body, tear him to pieces. Tim eye-tracked the menus, zoomed the camera in on the triangle embedded in Clark's right shoulder, A gnarled, nasty thing. A living, blackish-blue cancer just beneath the skin. And then, the slits vibrated. They opened. Three eyes, black as polished coal, seemed to stare right into the camera. Seemed to look right at Tim. Alien eyes. Demonic eyes. Eyes filled with murder. Tim nodded. Yep, that does it, he said. He reached out wiped his hand right to left, clearing the video from his view. Yes, indeedy duty. that certainly fucking does it right fucking there. Fuck you, Mr. Triangle, fuck you right in your fucking face, fuck you very much. Tim returned to dividing up the yeast into four cultures of equal size. He knew what he had to do. If Margaret didn't like it, well, then that was just tough shit. Chapter 40 Twatter Twenty-five miles south of the task force, the Mary Ellen Moffat rocked gently from three-foot swells. Compared to most of the trip since leaving Benton Harbor, Steve Stanton considered it damn near a dead-flat calm. He watched his laptops. Pan was lying on the bed. Steve didn't want to look at him. Maybe the old man had the gun pointed at Steve's back. Maybe it was better not to know for sure. Steve felt sick, twitchy. The stress was grinding him down if the platypus didn't make it back. A laptop beeped. Contact, Steve said. Bopan scooted out of his bunk, stood at Steve's right. Steve leaned a little to the left, an instinctive reaction that he checked before he fell off the edge of the chair. The old man bent closer. Did it get the container? Steve pointed to the screen. At the mad platypus. Bottle in hand at the microphone stand. It got it, Steve said. Holy shit, it got the thing. Beaupin thumped him in the back. Genius! Steve, you are a genius! Steve laughed, the giddy feeling that rolled through him undeniable and unquenchable. For just a moment, he forgot about the old man with the gun, forgot about the danger of an alien disease. Had he really just beaten the entire U.S. Navy? Everything had gone according to plan. The platypus had the small container holding the alien artifact and had left behind ten pounds of C-4 to blow the submarine's nose to bits and cover its tracks. Bopan thumped his back again. This is very good. Are there movies? Can Twarta show us what the platypus saw? For the first time, the old man had used the proper name for Steve's creation. Yes, but we shouldn't send the movies, Steve said. You told me the Navy had stepped up activity, remember? Beaupin nodded. He'd made several short, intense cell phone calls about an angry uncle from Cleveland, which was his handler's code name for Navy ships. Then we should wait, Steve said. The platypus will reach our boat in a few hours. The military has to be scanning for any kind of communication. If we broadcast anything before the platypus gets here, there's a chance the military will pick off that signal. And if they did, what then? Could they triangulate? Find the Mary Ellen Moffat? Steve was an American citizen. The thought had never crossed his mind before. But would he be tried for treason? The moment of elation passed. He'd achieved his objective. But what now? Beau Pan was standing right next to him. Beau Pan, the man with the gun. And as for beating the world's superpower, maybe they'd trace this back to him anyway. Somehow, no matter how good he'd made his encryption. Steve wanted to go back to the family restaurant. He wanted to see his mother, listen to his father talk about how hard things had been when he was a kid. Steve wanted to roll forks and knives and napkins, snap the heads off a thousand green beans. He didn't want to go anywhere near his creation ever again. Bopin, when you have the container, can I go home? The old man laughed. <laughs> soon, my young hero, go tell the owners of this boat that as soon as the platypus returns we are leaving. Steve looked up at the smiling old man. Leaving? For Benton Harbor? Beau Pan shook his head. No, for Chicago. Chapter 41 Gambling. Clarence stood in the airlock of the control room, fumbling with the biosafety suit's awkward seals and latches. He just wanted to get the thing off and sit down for a few minutes. He'd carried the canister of yeast out of the living quarters, gone up the long stairs to the upper deck, all the while wearing the suit. Yasaka had positioned armed guards around him, even established a kill zone. Approach Clarence Otto, and you would be shot. He'd carried the yeast to the helipad, handed it directly to a similarly suited man in a waiting Seahawk helicopter. That man had given Clarence something in return, a small, gray, airtight case. Only when the Seahawk lifted off had Clarence looked around and taken in the dozens of men and women, all exposed to the open air, staring at him like he was a visitor from another world. He was even wearing a spacesuit, so to speak. They stared because they knew that he was safe, and they were not. New case in hand, Clarence had headed back down. Decon through the living quarters airlock. Keep the suit on while entering the lab area. Decon again. Climb to the control room airlock. Decon a third time. And finally he was free. He fell more than sad into the console's comfortable chair. The gray case still had some bleach and disinfectant beaded up on it. Clarence brushed the wetness away, then opened it. Inside, a bulky cell phone. Oh, Murray, you shouldn't have. He'd seen this kind before. The bulkiness came from the encryption hardware loaded inside. The phone bypassed all ship communication, used the normal cell phone signal available this far from shore. Sometimes, spy hardware used secret satellites, gear that cost millions, and sometimes it just used what was available. He flipped it open. It had one number programmed into it. He dialed. On the other end, the phone rang and rang. Clarence was patient. He closed his eyes, almost fell asleep. Just like that, almost nodded off. Then stood up, bounced in place, trying to chase the fatigue away. On the other end, Murray Longworth finally answered. Took you long enough. Did you stop to jerk off before calling me? Twice. Clarence said. The vaccine on its way to Black Manitou. It's not a vaccine. But yeah, it's on the way. Good. I've seen reports from Yusaka and Tuberville. The task force is compromised. I want to hear it from you, Otto. What are the odds of this thing being fully contained? Clarence closed his eyes. He felt for the chair, sat back down. Murray was the hangman and he was giving Clarence just enough rope to make the noose. Murray did not play games. He wouldn't hesitate to put the entire task force on the bottom if it meant stopping the infection spread. That Murray asked him, not Tuberville, not Yasaka, but him, was a high honor, a mark of ultimate trust. Trust that Clarence Otto would tell the truth, no matter what the cost. The odds are zero. Margaret and Dr. Feely both think the genie is out of the bottle and we can't put it back in. Even if their inoculant works, there's no way they can make enough in time to stem the tide. Clarence didn't have to see Murray to know the old man's head dropped, that he probably rubbed at his eyes as he tried to deal with the news. Damn, the director said. I was truly hoping it wouldn't come to that. That was as close as Murray Longworth would come to an apology. And why should he apologize? He'd made the right call. Command meant that you put people at risk. Sometimes you sent them out knowing full well they wouldn't come back. Had to be done, sir. Yosaka and Tuberville might surprise us, but you need to prepare for the worst. I'll make arrangements, Murray said quickly, which meant he'd already mapped out a contingency plan. He'd likely had that plan in place before he'd ever sat in the living room and asked for Margaret's help. Now the hard question. How about you and Margaret? Are you... That was a first. Murray didn't know what to say. The almost expression of actual sentiment was almost touching. Negative so far. So's Feely. If the shit hits the fan, we must get them out of here so they can continue their work. Don't be an idiot. Murray said sharply, an automatic rebuke. Then softer. You know I can't let anyone who's been exposed fly back to the mainland. Then keep her at sea. As the Coronado followed orders to steer clear of any other task force ships and personnel. Murray fell silent. The lack of response answered Clarence's question. The Coronado remained an infection-free place to stash Margo and Feely. Finally, the director spoke. SEAL Team 2 isn't a taxi service for your wife, Otto. The SEALs are my insurance policy. If the command structure of any ship becomes infected, their mission is to kill those people. You think I'm going to take a chance that they could become compromised just to keep Margaret alive? Clarence closed his eyes. All this talk of life and death. At least he was no longer in danger of falling asleep. Sir, Margaret is too great an asset to waste. She's working on more than just the inoculant. If you don't want to lose her, then give me direct contact with the Coronado. If things go bad, I can get her off the Brashear. And what if she's infected and doesn't know it? Better yet, what if you're infected and you use the Coronado to shit all over the mainland? I'm afraid you'll have to gamble. Murray huffed, a sound that turned into a laugh of disgust. (laughs) Gamble. Gamble with a disease that can make us extinct. That's right. You know Margaret is worth the risk. He waited through a long pause. All right, Otto. I'll get you in contact with the Coronado. But the ride is for a clean Margaret Montoya. If you find out she's infected. Clarence licked his suddenly dry lips. For better or for worse. Director. If it comes to that, I'll do us both. Good man. I'll be in touch. Chapter 42 A New Hope Margaret double-checked the time in her visor's HUD just to confirm what she already knew. Yes, it had been only eight hours since she'd injected two microscopic hydras into the body of Eric Edmund. They had multiplied. Samples taken from his spinal column showed a few hydras, as was to be expected. What surprised her was Edmund's blood. There were already thousands of them in his circulatory system. They thrived in there, reproducing at a rate that defied logic, even strained the limits of her imagination. The hydras reprogrammed stem cells to make more hydras, which then reprogrammed additional stem cells, creating an exponential population increase. If he had thousands inside of eight hours, Within 24, he would have millions. Then what? Would they keep reproducing until there were billions? Trillions? Would the Hydra population in his body expand until it overwhelmed him, until it started to damage him? She had no way of knowing, other than to just watch Edmund. What were the Hydras? Were they friend? Foe? Or were they neither, just a parasite that used the human body? And if she dared to hope, what if they weren't a parasite at all? What if they were symbiotic, something that could live inside the human body without harming it, while at the same time protecting against the infection? The Hydras had kept Candace Walker from becoming one of the infected, from becoming converted, but that didn't mean the new microorganisms were harmless, purely beneficial things. They found their way into the host's brain. The human brain hadn't exactly evolved with room for passengers. Charlie Petrovsky had finally been consumed by the black rot. Other than a pitted skeleton, there was nothing left of him to study. Complete liquefaction just three days after death. Candace Walker, on the other hand, still showed no sign of the infection's rapid decomposition. Margaret eye-tracked through her HUD menus. She directed a microscope to lock onto one of the hydras in Edmund's blood sample. Its waving tendrils reached out, blindly feeling for something to grab to pull itself forward. Walker's stem cell therapy had introduced something new, something the orbital hadn't encountered before. Her infection had modified some of her normal stem cells, which probably produced the crawlers Margaret had seen so many times before. But some of the hacked stem cells must have had that artificial chromosome. Was that what produced the hydras? A variant so different that it didn't recognize the original crawlers as self. The new hydra strain reproduced at a phenomenal rate, but so far didn't seem to damage the host in any way. Walker had only had the hydras for three or four days at most. There was no telling what might have happened had they continued to grow inside of her. So many unknowns. But there was one fact that Margaret couldn't deny. The hydras secreted a catalyst that killed off earlier strains of the infection. Strains that damaged the human host, even killed it. You're protecting your environment, she said to the microscopic image on the HUD, as if it could hear her, as if it could think about her words. Walker was your world. When she died, most of your kind died as well. You're something new. You aren't a means to the orbital's ends at all, are you? The Hydra didn't answer. It kept reaching, kept pulling. Margaret felt her stomach churning. One too many of Tim's Adderalls? The excitement of discovering a new form of life? Or was it that the hydras' potential went way beyond Tim's yeast? Walker's pustules had contained hydras, hydras that might become an airborne contagion spreading from person to person all across the globe, promising permanent immunity to the orbital's infection. A different kind of pandemic. Margaret shook her head. Too risky. Too many unknowns for something that had been created, after all, by the orbital's alien technology. An alert popped up in her HUD. Tim Feely was calling her. She eye-tracked to the icon and connected. His face appeared in a small window in the upper left corner of her visor. Margaret, I'm finished processing the samples taken from the three new victims. Can you join me in the analysis module? I think you'd better take a look. On my way, she said. Tim's face blinked out so little time.
1: You have been listening to Pandemic, book three of the Infected Trilogy by number one New York Times best-selling novelist Scott Sigler. Performed by Phil Giganti. Produced by Empty Set Entertainment.